the CPHI podcast series. Hello and welcome to the latest episode from the CPHI podcast series. I'm Lucy Chard, the digital editor for CPHI Online, and I'll be hosting the podcast today. Today, I will be discussing the development and manufacturing of biologics and drug conjugates with two experts, Louise Duffy and Campbell Bunce from Abzina, a leading CDMO in the development and commercialization of drug molecules. Louise has a very extensive background in the global biopharmaceutical industry, with more than 30 years of experience in R&D and commercial supply, having held senior roles in GlaxoSmithKline and VP and Corporate Officer of Human Genome Sciences, and also at Janssen R&D as VP and Global Head of Strategic Sciences. She has a wide-ranging experience in developing, licensing and supplying biopharmaceuticals, vaccines and cell and gene therapy products for global markets. Louise has broad CMC regulatory experience, including the development of strategic CMC plans to support regulatory filings such as INDs, IMPDs, BLA and MMA. Campbell is Chief Scientific Officer and Cambridge Site Head at Obzina. He leads a talented team of scientists across a diverse range of expertise and capabilities to support drug discovery, design and developability and cell line development. He ensures that Abzina's strong innovation focus and depth of scientific expertise is maintained through technical developments and works in partnership with clients to design and deliver solutions that support their program needs. Campbell has over 25 years of experience working in the biotech and diagnostic sectors. Before joining Abzina in 2015, he held multiple positions of increasing responsibility in biotech, including Head of Cellular Immunology at Cantab Pharmaceuticals, and Director of Programs at Pyramid Pharma and R&D Director at Immune Targeting Systems. Throughout his career, he has applied innovative solutions for the design, manufacture and clinical evaluation of novel drug products, including vaccines, biologics and small molecules in multiple therapeutic areas. These include inflammation, cancer, infectious disease and addiction. In this podcast, Louise and Campbell use their cumulative wealth of knowledge to give an overview of the drug development and manufacturing processes, demonstrating all of the aspects that go into such an undertaking as making a new drug for a patient population. They highlight some of the key areas that teams have to work on, the minutiae of each stage and how it's all so integral, as well as the wider context within regulations to consider. And finally, they highlight some of the key areas for innovation and for expanding knowledge in the field. Campbell, I'm going to start off with the first question for you. What are the key starting points you consider when researching and developing new biologics and drug conjugates? I think first things first, and that's whether there's a clinical unmet need. You know, are there underserved sort of disease areas or, or suboptimal treatments that can be improved with new or, or better drugs? So once we've established that, then we consider what the molecular target an associated mode of action is that we that we may want to modify or influence to result in a beneficial or, or a therapeutic effect. Um, we also need to consider, you know, if we're targeting a particular pathway, uh, whether there are any um, safety issues or safety implications of modifying that target pathway, particularly if it's a pathway that's involved more generally in, in, in the 
um, outside of the sort of disease uh, tissue that we want to that we want to treat. So you know, once we've done that, then we can get to the the, the, the drug design, you know, and consider whether the, the pathway that we want to to uh, influence or modify is um, is going to be sort of impacted by an antibody or a recombinant protein that might block or or, or um, enhance uh, that pathway, or or whether a bioconjugate or antibody drug conjugate is is a better sort of drug format to consider. Mm. And you know, I mean, I, I um, we need to to then you know look at the components involved because. Um, you know, drug development involves a lot of innovation, a lot of uh, sort of uh, teamwork, I guess, around different disciplines, different areas of expertise um, that need to come together to think of that sort of optimal design. And, you know, we need to bring those together in a way that we know will impact that, that sort of um, that, that, that pathway, that, that sort of mode of action that we want to, to, to influence. Um, but also to do that um, uh, or to, to, to create a drug that we can actually make, you know, that we can scale and make in the appropriate form um, to, to treat the patients that we want to, to treat. A lot of other things to think about, um, particularly around uh, intellectual property, you, you know, as a freedom to use uh, the drug that we want to, to develop, um, design and develop. Um, obviously, we want to generate intellectual property funding as well you know i mean these are you know bread and butter sort of things but we need to actually uh, raise the cash to develop drugs it's an expensive uh, sort of thing to do so you know investors are going to ask the question is this something that they want to invest in and also consider um, what the regulators uh, need to see to to be satisfied that this is something that that should be tested in humans and in, in patients so there's a lot to consider. You know, as I said, it's a highly collaborative process. It needs a lot of focus. So the more we can think about this uh, early on, you know, up front, then the more likely we are to be to be successful in, in getting a, a successful drug or, or getting an effective drug into patients. That's so true. That's the that's the end goal, isn't it? Really, is best to make sure you're prepared at the start and consider all of these different things it makes it really clear how many things that you really do need to think about right from the off. And that's really, really important. Thank you. So could you walk us through the actual process of development of drug conjugate projects? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, uh, years ago, um, an old mentor of mine said that drug development's easy. You just need to answer two questions. Can we make it and does it work? Mm. <laughs> um, but of course, you know, it's very complex. And as I mentioned, you know, there's a lot of people involved, a lot of expertise involved. But when we're looking at um, perhaps uh, the more sort of successful or recent success stories in, in drug development around uh, ADCs, antibody drug conjugates, you know, we recognize that there's a number of components involved in designing those types of drugs. For the moment, you know, the classical ADCs involves, you know, an antibody, a linker design and a, and a toxin payload. And these need to, to, to uh, be brought together um, in a way that creates an optimal um, sort of form of that ADC that will deliver what we need to deliver in terms of um, safety and uh, function. So, you know, when we're doing that, we can look at them in their separate components. You know, linker payload often go together. So we need to think of the, the molecular um, or the, the synthetic chemistry 
the the antibody component that's a, a different beast that's uh, you know it's a protein that uh, requires to be expressed uh, and, and purified so we want to, to to look at these in the context of say the the, the optimal design or the, the target product profile that we want to achieve and when we're doing that we might consider different variations of those components uh, so different linker designs um, different payloads perhaps or toxins uh, different quantities of the, the, the payload um, to antibody. We call that drug to antibody ratio. Uh, so we might, it might be a highly toxic payload, in which case we might not need to, to load up the antibodies uh, too much, or it might be less toxic, in which case we might need to put more of the payload onto, onto the antibodies. So we can look at that in the early development, uh, design and development, um, by creating a sort of matrix approach. So looking at different linker uh, versions, different conjugation modalities, and different payloads. And then we can select down through those, uh, looking at a number of different parameters, like function, like stability, scalability, manufacturability, uh, we might say. Uh, we can start to look at some of the safety elements as well. And we can do that um, in, in vitro or, or ex vivo using primary human cells. And that helps us develop a sort of data set around these different variants where we'll assemble these different components and get to, towards a, a lead candidate that we then sort of push forward into to later development, you know, process development, scale up and manufacture. And that's where you know, my colleague Louise is um, uh, an expert in this area and taking these forward, sort of fast track into, into a manufacturing process. Thanks, Campbell. Maybe I'll pick up here. And I think just to sort of outline the complexity, the knowledge that you need to take this class of products forward is actually threefold. You need knowledge not only in the biological space, you need it in the chemistry space, but you also need to understand the linker. The drug has been very carefully designed to deliver the payloads to the right place in vivo and it's understanding how it works is very important in doing the development activities. So first of all, for the biologic, it's a classical development of a biologic where you're looking at your scale up, the ability to get reasonable yields, your key quality attributes purity profiles, your impurity profiles, very classical in that sense. And that takes one team with a certain set of skills and knowledge and technologies. Then you move on to linker payload. And as Campbell mentioned, you often talk about linker payload together, but in reality, they are two different components of the drug that play very different roles. The Payload is the true drug in the sense that once it's been delivered, it takes the action in the body. The linker is actually the ability, it assists with the ability to deliver the drug to the right cells and be able to release the payload at the right time so you don't have off-target toxicity. And again, you're doing another two different development activities for the linker and there's a whole proliferate of different linkers that are being used. You have to be able to make it consistently to 
the right quality level. And these are often very, very long syntheses. This is pure chemistry at this point. The payload is similar, but it very often has the other component that it is highly toxic. So you're now doing development with highly toxic components. So you've got the payload itself, long uh, number of synthetic steps in highly toxic products, mostly, although that is changing and for other uses. And then you join them together and join it to the biologic. So each one of those components require that you do a full development of the component. You get all the quality critical attributes. You understand your yields. You understand the technologies. And this takes a lot of knowledgeable people with different skill sets. So you have to have that um, component they also have to work very closely together as teams. And across the board, it's a development that requires a lot of different skill sets. Additionally, it requires a lot of different analytical skill sets. So you've got the classical biologics analytics, but you've also got the small molecule chemistry analytics. So the important point about the development is it requires a lot of skills, technologies. It does tend to take a little bit longer because you're doing multiple steps in that development. And at the end of the day, you are going to put all these components together and create the drug that you're looking for. Absolutely. Like you said, it's very it's a multifaceted, so many connecting, moving parts to, to make it all work. It's um, It seems very, and so many different things to consider. And it's really interesting there you say about toxicity and using these toxic products. Imagine brings a lot of difficulties in how you're figuring out the next stages in development. And so could you please outline some of these, some of these difficulties and some of these, the challenges associated with these stages? I mean, you, you've highlighted one there, uh, Lucy, you know, the, the, the toxic nature of the, these payloads that are being uh, built into the, the drug design and then manufactured. You know, once you're manufacturing at a particular scale, you need to be able to handle, you know, substantial quantities of, of, of uh, these materials. And, and when you think about it, you know, these are materials that we are expecting to, to be delivered to cancer cells and actually directly kill those cancer cells. And, you know, you get some pretty exotic uh, toxins that are getting used, you know, from mushrooms even and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, you you do need to think about the how you handle that. Um, specialist facilities uh, to do that. Uh, a very rigorous and well-drilled um, safety uh, process within the laboratories that, that, that you're using this with. Um, and, you know, obviously once you've attached that to an antibody, and it's less, less toxic, it's less likely to get into, into your system. But yeah, that, that is one of the key challenges of, of um, classical uh, ADC um, development. Maybe I'll, I'll step in here and add another challenge, which most people don't really consider to learn the thick of it. And if you look at the development cycle for an ADC or other conjugates, it requires an incredible amount of coordination across different groups because the linker and payload teams can develop those aspects separately from the biologic aspect, but they've got to work together 
to do the conjugation. So the conjugation can't be done till there's biologics material available to do the conjugation with. So that requires really knowledgeable people across the board understanding what the end game is, but also coordinating together to be able to move the medicine forward. It's not until you've got it conjugated, you know if you've actually got the product that you're looking for. The other challenges are also very much in the conjugation area. Conjugation efficiency is not what it um, I think could be in the future. So you're having to make a lot more biologic than you are going to be using eventually just based on the yields. So there's a lot of just very um, technical challenges that the teams need to understand and work together on. And the timelines are critical. And that coordination across the development teams is really, really important. Yeah, I think I would say that, you know, that that it's not just about, you know, manufacturing these separate components, bringing them together, constructing the ADC, but something that's often overlooked, um, but critical to the whole process is analytical method development and the generation of, of data, you know, in-process data, release stability testing data, uh, characterization data, you know, being able to coordinate and access specialist equipment and uh, expertise to, to generate that data in a way, to Louise's point, that, that, that coordinates well and doesn't slow down the process or create bottlenecks because we're waiting for data from manufacture one component to start the construction of the next component or the, the, the conjugation process, etc. You know, that needs to be coordinated uh, really, really well. And, you know, it definitely is uh, what I would refer to as a team sport, you know, to do this successfully. It needs a lot of people with a lot of different knowledge and expertise to, to, to come together to do that. And of course, you know, we want to be able to get the drugs into the clinic as quickly as possible to treat those patients uh, where there's a clinical clinical unmet need. Mm. Yeah, it definitely sounds like you really need a, a real symbiotic relationship there between all the teams and uh, it, it shows that everyone in each of those individual areas has to have a real understanding of what the other teams do as well which is just another another level you know you're taking experts and then and then you have to expect them to to understand how the whole machine works and how they can help each other to be to be really really successful which I can can imagine is quite a, a difficult situation to manufacture really um, and it takes a, a long time to get there but it's really it's really interesting it just shows you how important it is um, so when you Again, the, and another level to that is not only considering how the different teams work, but considering what you know, what the, the at the end product, the people that are actually using these products, I think, is a big part of the development stages. So, at these early stages, how do you consider the patient journey and how it affects them, and how to make that better and easier for them? Yeah, I mean, maybe I could start with uh, just a couple of points. I mean, the, the I mentioned the uh, target product profile earlier on, um, and it does surprise me how often uh, we've not really thought about that. We've not considered what it is we want to be making for patients, you know, how much we're going to need, cost of goods and all that, that good stuff. But 
you know, within that, we should be considering the patient population um, and the context of the disease, you know, such as, you know, how they're currently being treated, whether the, the, the treatment or the drugs that we're developing will fit into that. We need to consider making this something that's um, relatively easy to administer for the patient that's uh, obviously going to be effective, but will sort of fit into a, a, a sort of um, regimen, if you like, that will improve compliance and, and make sure that the drug is getting used optimally. So, you know, if we create a very difficult treatment regimen, I mean, obviously it depends on what the disease indication is, uh, you know, for some particular unmet needs and something that's uh, very serious to, to fatal, like cancer, then you know we can we can look at you know extreme levels of, of treatment if we need to depending on the, the drug design and the mode of action but as i say ideally and overall we want to make this fit into the the sort of um uh more general uh, standard uh, care for for that patient with that disease indication and make sure that we're making it easy or as easy as we possibly can to improve compliance yeah, absolutely. I think that's key as well when you speak about the diseases in fact, and it's especially important when you look at things like rare diseases and um, diseases that only affect uh, or like generally affect certain certain populations and things like that. I feel like that's very it's a very important consideration, isn't it? Uh, Louise, did you have anything to add? Your point about how important it is to understand the patient population is a key one. The other aspect on the patient journey is also looking at how quickly can you get the drug developed to get to the patient population and understanding what trade-offs you can make to be able to deliver the drug because until it's actually with the patient, you don't know whether it works or not for early stage uh, development. And this is a balance in terms of how much detailed you need at early stage, what are the key critical process parameters that you need to meet. For example, uh, understanding what the dosing is going to be so you know what the product-related impurities and the process-related impurity levels should be that are appropriate. So it's really having that line of sight to how the drug is going to be used in the clinic and how it's going to affect the patient is really key. And then Second point is, what can you we do to speed up that journey to be able to get material? And sometimes that's about, you know, not scaling it up quite so quickly as you might. Let's get a lower scale ready to go and into the clinic. It's taking that step back and looking at it holistically and understanding the end point of the patient. How is it going to be administered? What's the dosing? And what considerations are there that you need to take into account? Mm, yeah, that's so um, that's so interesting and so key, isn't it? So when we got through the drug development stages and and we, you know how you're scaling things up and how you'll be distributing and well aiming to distribute and things like that, what are the in in, in the manufacturing stages when you're when you're actually making the drug? What processes have changed in recent years? Um, following updated regulations and and regional differences and we've seen a lot of changes in this area since since COVID-19 pandemic for example and how how have these things changes and and yeah how has this affected the the manufacturing of such products there's been some technology 
changes which have helped with speeding up the development. For ADCs, one of the big innovations is the use of single-use technology. And the reason for that is that it allows you to not to have to do the cleaning verification and eventually validation that you need with multi-use systems. So that's a block of work that you don't need to do in the single-use technology world. This is well accepted by all the regulators now. It's a standard technology. That was certainly not the case, I would say, 10 years ago, but it's moved into the mainstream. The second area that has changed is some of the conjugation technologies. The technologies are getting to be much more deliberate. The choice of conjugation chemistry is a key discussion at the beginning of the development cycle. And making that choice is very deliberate. People are thinking about how is this drug going to work in the clinic and looking at that um, trade-off. What's happening on the regulations side is the regulators have come out with some very clear guidance recently on what their expectations are. Uh, The FDA, for example, has outlined how they would like Um, INDs to be put together for ADCs, what their expectations are. This helps when you're developing a drug. You understand what the end game is. And as the drug conjugates are used more broadly throughout the world, there's more knowledge from the regulators. So they're much more up to uh, speed with the type of questions to ask. And I think there's a interaction that the regulators are wanting to engage with industry about how do we actually develop these drugs safely and effectively for patients. Yeah, thank you, Louise. Yeah, that's, again, is coming up again and again, isn't it? How we can work towards developing the best, the best and most effective and safe drugs for the patients. That's, yeah, that's a real take-home message, isn't it? So a more general question for you both. Where do you think the key trends in medicine uh, where drug conjugates are being used? And, and also, where do you think in the future you see that they have real potential and, and that we should start working towards? Obviously, there's a lot of momentum still within the sort of classical ADC uh, field. You know, we're just seeing um, the fruits of a lot of um, you know, clever people Um, drug developers uh, over the last few years with ADCs so there's a lot of that still to come so we're continuing to see this progress um, with uh, antibodies and toxin payloads and and cancer you know to really improve the therapeutic window you know reduce the dose uh, increase efficacy um, and minimize the associated safety issues so a lot of work around you know linker uh, architectures to improve stability, uh, release mechanisms, to improve efficacy uh, and, and payloads uh, as well to get that balance right between safety and, and, and potency. There's also, in the, again, in the cancer sort of area, the uh, you know targeting new tumour-associated uh, antigens, identifying those and, and using those as uh, new targets to develop ADCs around, uh, which is really important. I mean, we, we, we actually see... You, you know, as a, as a group that does have a lot of that sort of expertise within uh, what we offer to support drug development, we're seeing a lot of drug developers who have been specifically in the antibody field. We see them now looking uh, towards ADCs, you know, what's their ADC strategy? You know, how can they 
leverage now their 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 antibody pipeline uh, in the context of of ADCs. Um, so so we've seen a, a lot of that, and that that helps sort of you know accelerate the process and and move uh, the success story for classical ADCs and you know very obvious standard uh, classical cancers into perhaps the the rarer uh, underserved um, uh, cancers. Maybe I'll add a few comments to what uh, Campbell is uh, saying. In the classical space, I mean, there's over a dozen classical ADCs that have been licensed. So that's actually now become almost mainstream, maybe not quite, but getting there. But what's happening in the next generation is, as Campbell said, a lot of work on the payloads and the linkers and the biologics. So we're now seeing bispecifics, tri-specifics being conjugated to payloads. And the part of the strategy there is that it means that you can more finely target a particular cancer, a particular indication. And this is part of the broader ability to actually home in on exactly what am I trying to treat? So we're seeing a lot of that happening. The other big trend that we're seeing is movement outside of oncology indications to other therapeutic areas. And these may not be toxic payloads that are being delivered. They may be dendromers and other proteins, but it's allowing exquisite targeting of the biologic to deliver and release the payload. And this is a really interesting area because it's allowing treatment in a number of areas that are true unmet medical needs. Some of the other key trends that are also happening are actually more uh, bread and butter issues. Typically, when ADCs have been developed, they've gone to a lyophilized product. Often early on, again, in this desire to speed up the cycle, you don't develop that lyophilized product initially, you just freeze it. And there's a lot of discussion, particularly on the back of COVID, where frozen minus 80 product was delivered around the world. Does a lyophilized product really need to be developed or could you just have a frozen product in this case? So I think people are stepping back and saying, what lessons could they have learned from COVID in many ways and what new technologies can be applied? And as Campbell said, we're seeing the whole host of these because we're working with so many different partner companies that are developing these products. It's very collaborative. We've really got to help them move these medicines forward. So it's a very interesting time in drug conjugates because I think it's going to explode into a lot of different areas and become much more mainstream than it already is. It's kind of been spoiled for choice really now to think about you know, the, the, the carrier bit, you know, the antibody or the, the, the framework, the common protein framework that we might use to target the cargo um, and the cargoes themselves. And as Louise said, you know, we're seeing um, a plethora of kind of new cargoes, new payloads um, being attached and, and helping us move into other disease indications. You know, a great success story is, you know, there's a couple of groups out there looking at you know, the muscular dystrophies and using antibodies or fragments of antibodies to target um, you know, inhibitory RNA into the muscle uh, to inhibit 
particular uh, disease-inducing pathway. Um, that's an incredible story, and that's built on the back of uh, of the classical ADC story. You know, as an immunologist, I'm an immunologist, you know, some of these really great immune stimulators that have been for many years highly toxic, when you administer them systemically, you know, they're there to, to, to sort of drive a, a, an immune response, but of course they'll, they'll drive a, a you know, cytokine storm or whatever type of response systemically. Um, but if you can attach them to something now and get them to the point of disease, it's cancer, and you can actually have that local focused immune response. And of course, you can start to combine that with other more successful or not more successful, but relatively successful drugs like the checkpoints to really uh, push the survival rates of, of cancer patients significantly higher. So there's a huge amount of uh, uh, scope there for sure. Yeah, as you both said, it's it covers so much and there's so much potential um, with the new technology, like you said, the new carriers, new new proteins and things like that. You've got so much there that just to get started with and hopefully find something that we can you know, use to to delve into those new areas and accelerate the existing ones such as oncology that you work in so much with it this has been really interesting I feel like I didn't quite realize the level of teamwork and collaboration that goes into all of these different aspects so that's really really interesting to see and how yeah it's just one big symbiotic relationship to get the the best outcomes for for patients at the end of the day which is a really nice way of working and a brilliant thing to work towards but thank you both so much for coming and chatting to me it's been really really interesting and yeah thank you so much for joining me thank you lucy thank you lucy Thank you again to Louise and Campbell there. That was a really insightful discussion and gave a real look through the window, as it were, into the world of development and manufacturing uh, of drug conduits for such important areas of medicine. This was a really interesting conversation. I'm so lucky to have been joined by both of them there and that they would share their knowledge. So I hope everyone enjoyed listening and please don't forget to subscribe to the CPHI podcast series uh, available on all the platforms that you normally listen on. And also don't forget to subscribe to the CPHI online newsletter where you can get regular updates on all of the content that you can find online. Thanks again for listening. Speak soon. Thank you for listening to the CPHI podcast series. For pharmaceutical news, webinars, events and more, visit cphionline.com.